In a world crying out for a top 10 show. John Roca and Matt Nost are here to bring you the top 10. Take it away, boys. Yeah, that's how you start the top 10. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Top 10 Show here in uh, Los Angeles. Still self-isolating, still self-quarantining. I am one of your hosts, John Roca, joined, as always, by the man over there. I am Matt Nost, and uh, yeah, we're doing the same shit everybody else is doing. Uh, sitting in <laughs> talking into cameras. So I hope everybody out there is uh, good and safe. We were talking beforehand, just the nonsense around L.A. and how packed oh, yeah. Here, I can't even fathom what New York is like. I mean, just oh, I wouldn't even. Oh yeah, New York must be. Yeah, insane. what do you do if if you run out of something right now? I, I yeah, it would be hell bent. Like I'd have to go to the grocery store just one time and get as much as I possibly could and just go back into my place because yeah, you're gonna get it there pretty damn quick. Uh, at least here, we're all kind of spread out a little bit, and it's already a car culture, so. It's not as communal um, as New York is, so thankfully, but it's yeah. fucking bananas here. It is. I got I got one up this morning. Usually I try to go on Tuesday or Wednesday mornings. Uh, actually, Tuesday mornings is where I try to do it uh, so I can go out and leave early. I leave about 7 o'clock from the house, go get in line mm-hmm. at either the Target or the Costco, depending on which one looks palatable. The Target today was pretty chill. I waited an hour and a half in line to get into the door. And I got what I needed. We got the, you know, the biggest uh, toilet paper ones you can get. We got the biggest uh, paper towel ones just in case, right? We did one of each just in case. Have it in the house. No rush. Just have it in the house. Not going crazy. Uh, but then I go into the, I was like, oh, I'll get some peanut butter. Why not? Gone. Absolutely gone still. Mm-hmm. You go into the meat sections. All of it is gone. I don't know who is storing all this meat and all this peanut butter and all this stuff because I don't believe that they're cooking all of it because people are still delivering, people still doing carry out and things of that nature. So I don't know how this, I don't know, I don't know how this uh, uh, formula is working overall, to be honest with you. So maybe people are just kind of super flipping out and just going to keep flipping out until this thing is uh, is settled. But I just, I, I thought eventually it would die down the kind of mania around uh, buying so many things at once, but it doesn't seem to be dying down at all, man. Well, I think you also have to factor in companies are used to existing on a certain production run. So to meet that demand, they're going to have to up that production. But then you have the flip side of that is once demand dies down and people get acclimated to this, now they have a glut of supply and yeah. they sell it as quickly. So it's going to be this, it will slowly catch up, but you can find stuff. I mean, it's not like everything is out. And, uh, you know, I think going to Target was the problem because their groceries are <laughs> as big as everybody else's. So it's going to be picked that's up. A, that's a good point. It's a good point. We, we, we found a Trader Joe's in West Hollywood where we yeah, go on Saturday, on Saturday mornings. And it's actually, it's actually chock full of food. It's, it yeah. never runs out of anything. I was so surprised. We were in line. We were at 11 a.m. We were in line for like, 30 minutes 
got in the store and they're doing, they're basically let only five or six people into the store and then they mm-hmm. shop and they try to make sure you don't get too much and that you get just enough and anything like that. So to us, that's our kind of oasis in this will in this crazy wilderness is we can go to that Trader Joe's on a Saturday morning and we've never not walked out with everything we needed. And so that's been mm-hmm. a positive overall for us there. But as far as toilet paper and paper towels, People are insane about that stuff. So when you go to the bigger stores, yeah, you're going to run out of it. Yeah. Um, I drove past Traders the other day and had a, a literal line wrapped around the entire building. So it started <laughs> out the door, went through the back, came around the side, and then was out on the sidewalk where the entrance was. And I was like, I'm not going to Traders today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the bigger thing is if you can get up super early and go, it's easy breezy to get in and get out. Catherine did it this morning. Right. I went last week for us and uh, yeah, just kind of trying to do it once a week max. Yeah. Uh, That's smart. That's how you have to do it. Once a week is the way to do it. And get, that way you don't get overwhelmed by it all. And you deal with the bullshit of it all for mm-hmm. one morning or one time. And then you're in and out, but I'm sure a lot of people watching or listening to us have been dealing with this stuff too, in their own way and doing yeah. their best that they can, depending on what city that they're in. Uh, but you're right. I don't know how New York does it. I don't know. I No wonder they have so many cases, But because I, I bet people flipped out the first time, the first week it was all happening and ran to all these stores and everyone's coughing on top of each other or so close to each other. Uh, of course, that city too is, is not a driving city. It's a mass uh, transit city. So everyone's mm-hmm. stuck on these tubes coughing on each other. So uh, I'm not surprised by the uh, the number of cases, although we're getting up there as well, Matt. And even mm-hmm. today when I went to the Costco, you talk about wrapped around the block. That thing was wrapped around the building, the line, then wrapped around three rows of parked cars. It was insane. But there was more people out this week than last week. I got cut off twice. I saw a car accident that was pretty gruesome. And then two people yelling at each other at a red light. So it feels like L.A. is starting to feel itself a little bit. And that scares me because it feels like people are kind of sick of the quarantine now. And they're taking their chances and going out more and more uh, out into the road. It's been dead. I mean, I've still been out to do where you're at. Yeah, but it's been you can get anywhere you need to go pretty damn quick. Uh, because mm-hmm. everybody's just kind of going point A to point B. They're not meandering around. So yeah, I, I've been walking my dog in the street because that's where she wants to go, and there's no fucking cars, so who cares? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just if that's where you want to go, sure. Right now, like we may see two cars in a 20 minute walk. Right, uh, right, right. Wow, that's wow, the, really? Yeah. Okay, that's the least amount. The other day we walked her for like an hour and something. Cause we went just walked through. I got up on Sunday and, you know, made a nice walk and uh, saw a handful of cars, although we did pass. So in our area, there's this retirement. It says it's a rehab center on the signage, but then online uh, they called it like a partial retirement home or something, but they had a coronavirus uh, little outbreak in their building and it's two blocks away. So, Oh man. Yeah. Shit, see? So, I mean, That's what are you going to do? Scary. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I'll live it. I mean, I'm already wearing a mask and gloves when I go out. I've been doing it now for a week and change. Just better safe. Right. Yeah, I got looks at first, but then by and large, slowly but surely, everybody's coming around. Yeah. Are you getting out uh, every day or are you just uh, as needed, that kind of thing? Because, I mean, to me, I'm driving my car every day, like 30 to 45 minutes, trying to either drive my car or walk for an hour just to kind of get out of the house to break the monotony of it all. Okay. No, I mean, I'm 
getting out, like I weeded yesterday, the fucking dreaded weeding. Oh. I'll be weeding every other day this week except for today. Uh, okay. Why fucking weeding sucks. I was out there for four hours straight yesterday, and I finally got up because I'm on my knees or uh, I'm doing that one knee is down and the other knee is at 90 degrees, you know what I mean, where your foot is on the ground. And I'm yeah, just yeah. digging out weeds. And by the end, I got up and uh, my back hurt, my hips hurt, and my knees hurt. And I was like, great. I got four to five more days of this guaranteed. Good times. Jesus. But I'm outside. It's better than just sitting on my ass doing nothing. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. You got to do something. You, you can't just sit around. And uh, they said you can take your bike ride. So I, I, but I can't take the bike to a shop. I don't think the shops are open. The bike. I know the auto body shops are, open, but I don't think the bike shops are open. So I don't know if I can take my bike to get like you know service. I saw one. I don't know. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, two days ago, walking. Saw one okay. just a block and a half from my place. It was, it was open. I was surprised. Okay. All right. So maybe I'll change go their hours. Place. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You might have to hand them like your bike at the door or something and you can't go inside. Right, right, right. Like or or around the back where they might yeah. have something where they do that. Something. Yeah. Yeah, they've I got a staging area. Of, yeah, because I gotta go I gotta take this thing for a ride and kind of get out there, especially now when there are not that many cars. So it, res- mm-hmm. it reduces the risk of being hit by one of those cars or whatever. And so as much as I, I don't like to wear a helmet, I know I have to, but I don't like to wear a helmet. So, you know, this will be, at least I'll, I can wear the helmet. And I feel a little more comfortable and I'm not going to get hit by a car, hopefully. And that's in that scenario. So, um, yeah. anyway, uh, so have you been keeping an eye on everything like entertainment wise or anything like that? Or have you been kind of staying away from all that? What do you mean? Well, I mean, like we just announced that Sony's pushing all their movies. To yeah, I saw movie. that. Okay. I just assume at this point, anything that's, like as they push back, then it affects other things and it's just going to shift and shift and shift and shift. And it's also shut down production right. on the next season of succession and this right. movie will shut down, et cetera, et cetera. Like things that aren't supposed to come out until next year, but they have to be shooting now. It's just, it's not going to happen. So yeah, the rip check will see how, how long uh, it, it is and how dramatic, you know, the waves are of it, but it's, it's yeah. going to, you know, this is going to be weird for a while. So yeah. Yeah. It is. Did you see what the NBA NBA is proposing? Are you down with this idea of a one site playoffs? The only downside is they have to spend more than likely like a month away from everybody. So yeah. they have to then quarantine even further and they can't see their family. They can't see their friends. Uh, they are living at some specific location with all the other players and they're all separated and they can somewhere to work out like at their logistics, but who doesn't want any kind of fucking distraction right now? Yeah. I would kill for basketball yeah. fucking kill for it, <laughs> but it's not, ab- I'm not playing myself. It sucks. It just <laughs> sitting around jonesing for any kind of sports, but basketball in particular. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be awesome if they do it uh, in the meantime, like, yeah, maybe I need to buy a bike, join you out there, do something. <laughs> Get out. Yeah, I know it's, so you got to do something. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I like the idea of a one-site location. And yeah, it's, but it's a month. A month will go by quick. Uh, my concern is, you know, not everyone's going to follow the rules. You know someone's going to sneak someone in there or some ladies in there, and there's going to be issues and what have you. In the NBA, so. man. You don't, don't think, think so. so, really? No. Okay. Because the, the, the guys that are trying to do it are all going to take it very seriously. Yeah, fair, fair. The, yeah, they're saying a Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, they already live a privileged existence. And if they were to flaunt it in that way on top of it, he, it would just piss off too many people. So That's I don't point. I think it'll be like the Olympics and just shit is shut down. They're there to work and let's put on the best game they possibly can. It's like an all-star game, depending on the type of guys they get. Sweet. Maybe play like a best of three series or something over a weekend. Well, that's what they're talking about. A one site location playoff best of three series between all 16 teams to get to. And that's why they'll be quarantined the whole time. That'd be so strange because you're still going to have a camera crew. You're still going to have a production crew. Like, I just wonder how they can make all the logistics of that work. But Silver is desperate, desperate to make it work, and so are the owners. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, uh, so much sports has been lost, and people mm-hmm. so want some kind of distraction. I yeah. mean, I see that the spikes have gone up in Austrian A-League football because it's the only thing that's actually playing. Sure. If they're desperate for it, they'll watch it. Um, And I'll be interested to see what the numbers are on – the on-demand new movies that you can just oh, rent yeah. with Onward. And I watch that. Uh, I'll probably watch The Way Back. I'll probably watch, you know, something yeah. else. You know, as it comes out, hey, maybe they try and do this just to appease people's appetite. But yeah. will the movie be released in that way? I know that, was it, Amazon partnered with a bunch of stuff from film festivals? Yeah, yeah. Get their so be- or Netflix. Yeah, because... Yeah, I think it was Amazon because the small ones are going to drop and they're not going to, you're not going to lose that much money necessarily on the small movies. Yeah, you'll lose buzz. That's why they're resisting. Yeah. Uh, But it could be a boon for them because people are stuck at home. So they're more willing, they have more access to seeing all these movies. And if it gets delivered, it's like, this is all the cool stuff that that people are rolling out. It might get seen more more eyes. I don't know. Maybe a big release strategy going forward. That's Uh, a good point you bring up, man. We'll see. Yeah, we shall see. We shall. But anyway, what we're here to talk about is to entertain you guys on the top 10, you guys and gals, rather, on the top 10 uh, every week as we do. We're not stopping anytime soon. We're not going on hiatus. and We're not being postponed or rescheduled or canceled. This season keeps going. Uh, and today we are talking about the top 10 movies of 2009. Uh, Matt and I, Matt came up with some subjects and Matt reached out to me and we're like, hey, what do you mm-hmm. think about this? What do you think about uh, the top 10 movies of a certain year. And I was like, oh, I like that. And he had the randomizer on and the randomizer hit 2009. It's a year I haven't revisited in quite some time. So it was fun to kind of put this list together, Matt. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird year. <laughs> the understatement of the year about 2009. Well, I'm just saying if for movies, because the, the headlining a properties, I think they're all duds by and large. So wow, okay, yeah, those aren't on my list. Just looking at, it, I was like, I don't, I don't think I'll ever see that again. And I thought it was okay at the time, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now there's some, you know, gems that are hidden throughout the year. There's some really good, absolutely, movies thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. But the marquee, you know, above the line, what everybody was talking about that year, looking back, just like I don't care, I, I don't care yeah. about. Movies. Um, yeah, you want to do uh, Alex Akos's now? Oh, yeah, we should probably do that. We unfortunately forgot to do Christos Alexakos' list last week. The show yes. was about an hour and a half, and for some reason we just forgot to do his list. So, Matt, do you want to do it? Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, last week Chris chose the topic, and then we forgot to read his list, obviously. So I'll, I'll do that now. And, Chris, we apologize for the delay on it, but, you know, here we go. We remember it at least. Uh, said, guys, thank you for the opportunity and the honor to select the topic. I wanted to spotlight some 
of foreign directors because sometimes we forget that film is global and a lot of Hollywood's most successful directors were not born in the U.S. With no delay, here is my list. At 10, he's got Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon by Ang Lee. Nice choice. Nine is Birdman with Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, eight, he had your old boy with Park Chan-wook. Mm-hmm. And seven is La Vida Abella by Roberto Benigni. Six is Cinema Paradiso by Giuseppe Tornatore. Only um, six, huh? Oh, geez. Only six. Uh, five is El Libertinto del, del Fano. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Four is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Milos Forman. Three is Spirit oh, yeah. of Cuckoo with Hayao Miyazaki. Two is for A Fistful of Dollars, interesting, by Sergio Leone. And seven is Seven Samurai, Akira Kurosawa. That's the number one, Seven Samurai. Well, that is correct. That was our number one, consequently. That was, yes. And he wrote a quick shout out to uh, Lenthimos for The Favorite and Lobster and Theo Angelopoulos for Ulysses' Gaze and Eternity in a Day. uh, (laughs) Through the years. Their movies are not my favorite, but I'm grateful for you. <laughs> that uh, son of a bitch staying on brand, Matt, going for those Greek filmmakers. That, sure. Staying on brand. <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so there you go. Thank you, Chris, for that list. Uh, always fun to hear from you, Bud, and thank you for the topic last week. That was a lot of fun as well, discussing those English as a second language directors, which ended up being the title of the show where we were trying to figure out how to title the show. Uh, there it was. Uh, but this week, as I said, we are count- we're counting down the top 10 of 2009. Matt, do you want to tell them how the show works? Yep. Once we set a topic, we go our individual ways. Great personal top 10. Let's show back up here. I do my bottom three. He does his bottom three. I do my next two. He does his next two. Then we trade one apiece. Once we have revealed our personal top 10 list, we create the show between the two of us. Shows. Boom. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, weird year. Yeah. Me. Looking back at it, usually the prestige films populate my list and then I have other stuff. And this year, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> Ten, you might be saying punt. And that's fine. Up in the air. Uh, yeah. No, it is a punt. Yes, it's a punt. Okay. Uh, nine is Zombieland. Oh, okay. Not on my list. Just a, it was a cut right at near the end. So yeah, go ahead. It made it because I know I'm going to see it type of thing. Like, yeah. so after 11 years, looking back at all these others, I haven't seen X, Y, or Z since I saw it in the theater or maybe one other time since where Zombieland and they've made a sequel. I've seen it. Uh, I enjoy it. I haven't seen the sequel. Um, is it any good? It's good. It's just not as good as the original. And and it feels like the hangover too, you know, where they're kind of rehashing the same beats, the same vibes, but you still feel like it's a sweet film. So it's certainly enjoyable. Okay. All right. I enjoyed the first one and the, obviously like the cameo from Bill Murray. So unexpected. And the first time you see it, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's got a bunch of different moments like that and Eisenberg and a, a different type of movie, the same rough, yeah. you know, kind of shy, timid character. Uh, but it's nice to see Woody working again, and uh, Emma Stone was great. And uh, said, "Ah, shit, I'm going to screw up her name." Breslin, go Breslin, yeah, yeah. go Breslin, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, quality cast. So number nine for me. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's a fun little film, and um, it's certainly one that people were. It became an underground hit. It made money. It did make money, but it mm-hmm. also got it became even a bigger hit as the years went along. People love that one, especially at a time when zombies were like 
you know, really populating our pop culture, it found a way to stand out on its own, which gives, which you should give a lot of credit to. And then 10 years later, they did that sequel uh, because people were clamoring for that sequel uh, and they got it done. But overall, yeah, I agree with you. This is when Woody was starting to come back in the public consciousness, like more strongly, more firmly uh, yeah. in that way. So it was great to see him. And Emma Stone hadn't become Emma Stone yet. So you get a really good freewheeling performance from her in that movie as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so that's my nine. My theme is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, uh, that's a punt. Yes. Okay. All right. Oh, what do you got to yeah. All right, my 10 is the documentary from James Toback on Mike Tyson. It's just simply called Tyson. Tyson. Yep, yep. This is one of my favorite documentaries I've ever seen. And this was at a time when I was starting to come or back around on Mike Tyson because he's always been a, a fascinating character, that guy, for so many reasons. Not just because he was a champion, but because of all the stuff that happened around him being a champion. Then the redemption story in the public's eye that he had to go through. And then you see in, in this documentary, you see him talk honestly and forthrightly about his experiences growing up as a poor kid uh, there in uh, Brooklyn and what he had to experience uh, overall and what he went through and why he was a thug and why he was a criminal and why he resorted to that kind of life. And, you know, if you're opening your mind up to it, you can really see shades of this in other situations and kind of ask yourself, am I as understanding of other situations as I am of Mike Tyson? Because Mike Tyson is a champion. Uh, you know, should I kind of gravitate that kind of acceptance and understanding towards other people who grew up in those conditions as well for some of their actions or some of the things that they did, if they're willing to seek redemption? And I think that was the number one thing about coming out of the documentary is Tyson is seeking redemption, understanding, and forgiveness. And he is so forthright about it that I was just super impressed by the guy. And I've stayed yeah. a fan of his ever since even more so. Yeah, but I this was a, a slight cut. Um, yeah. I don't think I've watched it since I saw it. Uh, okay. But at the same time, Mike Tyson was a cultural touchstone for you and I to a degree that like, there was a time in my life where I thought he was genuinely unbeatable, that he was, yeah. you know, like Drago, like he's made of, what is it, steel or iron? That he yeah, said, iron. He's like a piece iron. of iron. Yeah. Yeah. That to me was Tyson. Tyson was unbeatable. And the loss to Buster uh, Douglas, it just, it didn't seem real. And you read the backstory yeah. of like, and I was still relatively youngish at that point. Um, but you read the backstory of like, he was kind of out partying and had women late right. to his place and when he was in Japan and didn't take it seriously, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Although it's for as long as he was on top, I guess that's kind of inevitable uh, because he was just yeah. been destroying dudes. And but genuinely, like flat out, was unstoppable. He was captivating me to me as a kid. I, I played Mike Tyson's punch out so many times. Yeah. I couldn't beat Tyson. I could beat every other character. And my best was Macho Man, but I couldn't beat Tyson. Didn't matter how many times. <laughs> uh, so then that's when we would do it by committee, like between me and my friends. So I was good at Macho Man, and I was like, the, I was the best against him and like three other guys. And then the dude that had Tyson was also the best against like one or two other dudes. And <laughs> one guy specifically was excellent against Sandman. I remember that. Uh, yeah. Little rolling jab thing that he did always fucked me up. Uh, but yeah, he's loomed so large in my consciousness and the public consciousness of that age. Yeah. It, this yep. documentary was a great exploration of him. 
I thought, yeah, man, that's why I put it at 10, man, because it's such such an unusual documentary at the time that it came out. And it's still one that I go back to. And it'll when it, occasionally I happen to find it every once in a while, every few months, I'll just happen to randomly see it on uh, on TV. I will watch about half an hour, 45 minutes of it. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. <clears throat> All right. So then my number nine is The Road. Is that a punt? No, I, I thought about it, but yeah. I haven't. Once again, I've seen it twice and I haven't seen it. Yeah. Any- well, I mean, I think I've only seen it a handful of times, just like you, Matt. But it is a film that stuck with me for the yeah. uh, just the direction of the film itself, the acting uh, that Vigo does with the young kid, Charlize Theron's flashbacks, all that stuff. And that one scene where they get captured and put down in the basement of that house and you see what would actually be the situation if this was a real thing that people would be, you know, there would be people if- who would enslave other people down there for their own usage and you just were just it just filled you with such horror of what humans can do to each other uh in a situation like this when they should rally around each other and look if this coronavirus was to ever get fully out of control we what we see in the road is essentially what could happen uh, in yeah. the world and so you, you you would actually essentially turn people with this virus into essentially an army that you get a leash on on a population or whatever so it could be scary in that way and I like the touching relationship between the father and son and the things they go through. And the movie pulls no punches. It's a brutal, brutal exploration of what would actually happen out there. And you are constantly on a knife's edge the whole time. So it's one of those films that has stuck with me ever since. And I had to give it its love on our, on my list. Okay. I, yeah. I don't know. To me, like a movie like that is, you know, to some degree, Requiem for a Dream. But mm. that one stuck with me more than The Road did. Uh, okay, but I guess maybe perhaps because requiem is is I don't do drugs I don't do you know what I mean that's that's a life right. I'll live whereas the road I, it could it could hypothetically if we had some huge cataclysmic event whether right. handmade right. or natural yeah that, that shit could be real perhaps that's why it didn't resonate as, as fully I don't know yeah okay. uh, that's fair good movie all right what do you got next uh, my number eight is Crazy Heart. Yeah, no thanks. No, really? Really? I liked it. How? I liked it. 2009 is a weird year for me, man. I remember with the Oscars just being like, I don't give a shit who wins. Yeah, I totally respect that. Uh, Well, this one, uh, I I really enjoyed Jeffrey. Obviously, he won the best actor for this performance, and he was incredible. And Scott Cooper directed this film, who you could be in and out on Scott Cooper, certainly a Jekyll and Hyde director. Some people like his stuff. Some people don't like his stuff and for their own reasons and what have you. But I really enjoyed the dialogue here. I enjoyed I like the relationship he has with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, it's another one of those May-December romances. How believable is it really? But when you have two actors like the strength of Maggie Gyllenhaal and the tenderness and vulnerability and what he's going through in his life and Jeff Bridges as that character, you kind of believe their union a little bit. And then when he does what he does with the child, you're just like, oh, my God, you feel so broken for this man and what he goes through. And I even Mm -hmm. thought Colin Farrell did a nice job as that kind of like up and coming country singer who's trying to help him out a little bit. So all of this uh, as a redemption story, but also as a, you know, kind of an addiction story, I thought was really well done. Uh, And obviously I'm not, I've never been an addict. So I don't know what that's, I'm sure I'm an addict to certain things, but like, you know what I'm saying? What they're talking about in the movie, I've never been that kind of addict. So uh, I I'm only watching it from that point of view. 
And I really enjoyed what they, what he was able to create in the film, Jeff mm-hmm. Bridges and everyone else uh, involved in the production. So it's one of those films that I thought uh, should have gotten a little more love at, in the year, but certainly they gave it to Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I need to see it again. Uh, I do like recall that year going to see just like every year I get excited for, Oh, here come the rollout of Oscar films. And right. by the time I got to that one, because it was a more limited release, I was just yeah. burnt out on the season. I don't know. But oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah, that's possible. Or maybe you just didn't like it. That's certainly possible, too. We'll see. It's uh, not that I didn't like it. I just don't remember loving it. Gotcha. Fair enough. Uh, what's your number seven? Uh, seven is The Damned United. Oh, dude. Great choice. It's- Shit. The rewatchability is what gets it onto the list, man. I've now seen it four times. Yeah, I don't deny you, man. That's a great choice. Damn it. I've I've always loved Michael Sheen. So then I found out he was a soccer movie, and I'm like, okay. Uh, (laughs) He's always been good. Uh, He just would steal effortlessly scenes that he was in when he had, like, smaller roles and whatnot. Um, Still does it to this day. Like, after he become Michael Sheen, he does that small part in Tron Legacy. He's the most interesting, like David Bowie-esque. I'm not entirely sure what androgynous kind of individual he's playing, but it was fully thought out and formed in a movie that I think is just kind of so-so. But Damned United, it's, uh, I know nothing of these teams, and it's just a good, compelling, it's a good sports movie, but it's really just about human nature and how at certain points, you know, people can feel slighted and want to rebel against it, or he's young and he's brash and he's, burning bridges kind of unknowingly and knowingly simultaneously uh, mm-hmm. reputation proceeds in what he doesn't get the national job, even though he's the hottest coach in the, the country and it goes to right. the stuffy guy that he eventually takes his job. Does he not? Yeah. Um, and his players. character. Yeah. It's just, it's a solid, solid movie. Even if you don't care about soccer or football, whatever you may call it in the, it's yeah. it's just a damn good movie. I don't disagree with you, man. It is a fantastic film. It's one of those ones I discovered as a uh, an independent film. I think at the time I was still working uh, at the DVD testing uh, job that I had at that time in 2009, I think. And that was one of those ones that came in from a smaller studio. And I fought like hell to be one of the point people on that project mm-hmm. so I could watch it over and over again because you rarely see a good movie about soccer or football. Really, you yeah. can count on one hand the best ones. And don't give me that goal series. I did not like the goal series at all. Yeah, but you, 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 uh, Go ahead. I was just saying, you, you rarely see that. And to see the acting talent involved here, because it isn't just Michael Sheen. Timothy Spall is fantastic yeah. as well as his assistant throughout. And Cole Meany is in this thing. And of course, mm-hmm. like Matt said, this is based on a true story. This guy actually existed. This guy went through the stuff he went through. His son became a, is still a, a football manager himself. So this, all oh, this is Brian Clough. Is he good? Such a, uh, he's okay. He's not great. He's still coaching in the lower divisions. Um, Which division? Brian Clough. Uh, like second, uh, either the the championship division or the or the first division below champ English League One, maybe. But he was at okay. Derby County for a little bit, the same place that uh, uh, Brian Clough ends up with in the film, uh, where they kick him out. He actually went back there as the son, I think, and was coached there for a while as well. But you see the progression of this because the guy is his own worst enemy, right? And how many films have we seen with the guy like this or a person like this? 
but it works here because of the charm mm-hmm. of Michael Sheen. Uh, and you, you feel so frustrated watching him because you're like, no, 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 stop doing that. Uh, and in the end, he is, he was his own worst enemy. And Brian Clough could have been one of the greatest managers in the history of England with the national team if he had just played ball and didn't want to play ball at that time because of his, his genius about the game and his hubris about the game. And look, it was warranted. He took a little known team like yeah. Nottingham Forest to win the European Cups. That's unheard of. And he did it like multiple times. And so, uh, but in the end, got bit by his own ego and where he ended up, you know, and, yeah. and it's a shame. Yeah. Uh, it happens. You see, you're around sports long enough. You see coach, like all kinds of different individuals, players that sabotage themselves because they know they're the best out there, but they can't seem to gel with the other people on the field. Look at any any great receiver in football. Yep. By and large, they seem like assholes. I mean, they just <laughs> out. Even the ones that seem kind of normal, once they do like a hard knocks or an all, <laughs> you're like, these guys are fucking Looney Tunes. I, there was a, yeah. a tube series where uh, one of the Minnesota, I've watched a couple of them, but one of the Vikings players goes around and interviews other players and whatnot. Yeah. And they have one uh, where, which player would you let date your sister and which one wouldn't you? And Stefan Diggs was everybody's number one. No, never touching my sister. <laughs> and unsurprisingly, but I think it's two years after the video, but I saw it during the season last year. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, and who they kept, Minnesota they wanted him out. <laughs> yeah. But Thielen, who they kept, made a bunch of people's lists of he seems like a good dude. You're like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm surprised any wide receiver makes this. And Diggs I like seems, that guy. Yeah. Diggs seems by by all wide receiver accounts pretty, pretty decent. He's no AB. Yeah. He's not he's not uh, Chad. He's not Ocho Cinco. He's not, you know, 50 other dudes that have just been weird. Terrell Owens. Yeah. Uh, fucking ridiculous. Throw he's me the Jekyll and Hyde receiver that you don't know what you you he can show up when he can show up. If you construct the whole game plan around him, he can show up. But sometimes, even when you construct the whole game plan around him, he doesn't show up. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's all, he's definitely not 100% always consistent in as being a receiver. So we'll see what happens with him in Buffalo now that he's been traded. But <laughs> that's a great thing. Nope, not my sister. No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So moving on, my six yeah. is, I don't know if we may be saying punt, Star Trek. Oh, uh, that is actually my number six. Right on, man. Cool. Perfect timing. Yeah, yeah. What a great movie, dude. Now, as as a bigger Star Trek fan, I've always liked the series, but you have a greater love overall. Going into this, did you have much expectations? Were you excited with the prospect of Abrams? Because I liked it. I was like, this could be interesting, different for Star Trek. Yeah, I was cautiously optimistic because I like J.J. Abrams and I enjoyed Lost. Remember, Lost was only a couple of years before that he had done the first season of Lost. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering if this was going to be a good reimagining. And, you know, I wasn't a fan of I wasn't the biggest fan of the Next Generation or any of those subsequent. I mean, Deep Space Nine was all right. Wasn't the biggest fan of Voyager. Didn't like Enterprise. So for me, it was a law of diminishing returns from the original series. For whatever reason, nostalgia or just the fact that I I loved the bigger-than-life characters that they were on the show, I just enjoyed the original series more than any other series. So when they said they were going to remake this, I'm like, how do you possibly recast Captain Kirk? That's impossible. You can get a Spock. You can get a McCoy even. But you cannot get a Kirk. But then I saw the trailer, and when I saw the trailer, 
I really enjoyed the direction JJ was going in with the Star Trek to make it more modern, more understandable, yeah. to give you a background on Kirk that we wouldn't have had before. And his situation with his parent, you know, you took away the dad thing, all of that that was so essential to Kirk. I thought it was a brilliant way to reboot the franchise. I don't think either of the subsequent movies have gotten close to that 2009 reboot, uh, unfortunately, but I have enjoyed the entire crew as as a whole uh, all around you know um uh john cho and uh, uh, uh sorry um ah, gosh I, I can't think of joey zaldana uh and uh, um, uh, zachary quinto are all great simon Pegg, uh and yep. of course the late great uh um uh, she's the gentleman who died the young kid oh, uh, uh anton um shit. yeah anton uh, yeah yelchin anton yelchin, yelchin. Yes, yes, yes. i was about to say they're going check off well no that's his fucking character you did <laughs> Yelchin, there you go. He got pinned but I like by this. his Jeep? Against yeah, like, he got pinned by his Jeep. Something like that? Yeah, yeah. What a sad way to go. But you had Eric Bana in this as well, and you had the storyline of the Spocks mm-hmm. meeting up with each other. That was yep. awesome. So you have, uh, you have Hemsworth as Tiberius. Yeah. Or not Tiberius, but as his dad, uh, whatever, saying, like, Tiberius, that's terrible. Yeah, George. Yeah. Yeah, they, they crushed Kirk. Chris Pine was awesome. And I, I love uh, Zoe. Zachary Quinto at times goes in and out for me. Okay. But, but it's kind of tough. How do you how do you reduce Spock? That to me was the bigger one. It's like Leonard right. Nimoy right. Is, is that character. I know he hated that. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, I'm happy to see you in other things, but only you can do Spock to me. Right. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, great casting, a lot of fun. Uh, the lens flares, which everybody you know made fun of at the time, uh, a bit much. But at least stylistically, he had a vision for it going in. Yeah, He's trying to put a new spin on it. I like it. I liked Carl Urban too as Scotty. I mean, as yeah. McCoy rather. He was great as McCoy. You know, so it's a good crew. I just wish the films would would come closer to the original reboot and uh, and kind of get the best out of those characters. I did not like Beyond. I liked Into Darkness, but that twist was weird. Um, and I, and I maybe down the road. Oh, with Spock and Kirk. Yeah, yeah, switching places as they did in Con. I thought it was a bit unearned. They're trying to put their own spin on it, type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Plus, by playing with with timelines in the first one, now this could be an all new timeline, and that's why they get to go off and have adventures that this crew never had. It's right, like, right. So it's like a reboot in that, but they're paying homage in the first one to the previous yeah. history and allows them to go off and be like, these are the guys just younger. Uh, yeah. Beyond, timeline, I've yeah. seen them all in the theater. Beyond was fine. Yeah. Like it had a whole lot of ideas. Uh, it did. And someone said to me, they said, well, it's a good episode of Star Trek. I'm like, that's great. I don't want to watch an episode of Star Trek on screen. I want to watch an ep- I want to watch a feature film of Star Trek on screen. And whenever they revert back to that episode shit, like Star Trek five does, I just, I'd lose interest. I just lose interest. It's gotta be but grandiose or else it doesn't belong on the screen. But they've already used Khan. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. It's the only recurring Star Trek character cinematically within this group of characters that anybody knows and has any real, I guess, fear of, uh, yeah. but you can't just keep using them unless you're going to close out the series and be like, all right, we're just going to, you know, have Khan do something huge and it's going to be a monumental showdown in the end. Yep. Yep. 
But yeah, that's a good point. It is basically just like a really cool episode of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So my number seven then is uh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, that's a fun. Okay. Great. What's your number five? Oh, no. Well, before we get to my five, why don't we take a quick break and hear this word from our sponsors? All right. Thank you to uh, our sponsors for supporting the show and for you guys to listen, uh, listening to them. Now jumping in to my number five. Uh, five for me is taken. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, no, I didn't put that on my list, but good choice, dude. Go ahead. Uh, I know I'm going to see this movie a lot because I've already in 11 years seen it a lot. And I still like it when it comes on now, which to me is the sign of an excellent movie. All these years, over a decade later, pops up. I still find it, you know, as enjoyable to some degree as the first time I saw it. You obviously don't have to terms but you'd see Liam Neeson the initial pivot to this second act uh, of his career that nobody saw coming oh yeah nobody saw coming and now we could kind of venture mentally to the possibility of what about this actor who's never done these types of movies but they have the presence that they could pull that off and it opens up all these different possibilities and something like that also showed you didn't need to be fully trained like to some degree I believe we got Atomic Blonde because yeah. of Taken. And we get all these other one-offs. Maybe uh, well, this was after Bourne. Bourne gave them a blueprint. Um, right, right. But it opens up the possibilities of you don't have to be some young in their prime type of individual. And I think it's still, it still rocks out to this day. So, Yeah. I mean, we saw Schwarzenegger and Stallone come back in their own stuff after – uh, Liam Neeson had done what he did in Taken. So it's not like it's a formula that doesn't work. And this certainly, like you said, breathed new life in, into Liam Neeson's career because he essentially was copying this formula multiple times afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean in the sequels. I mean in all these other films yeah. that he did as well. And it's still doing. And it's still doing, you know. And we'll yeah, continue to do because to low enough budget, it turns enough of a profit and we all believe Liam Neeson in this role. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Good choice, man. Uh, all right, my number five is uh, Watchmen, uh, the director's cut. I want to be specific, the director's cut. Uh, I'm sure that's not on your lists, no? No, I, I flirted with the idea, but okay, I assumed it was okay. going to be. Yeah, this one has grown in estimation for me over the last few years so much, and especially the director's cut, not the original cut. I want to make that really, really clear a hundred times. The director's cut is the one to watch, in my opinion, and it's worth it. It's a three-hour watch, but it's so worth it. And the characters get to uh, get to like, you know, you get a little more time with them. You get to enjoy them more. You get to see them in situations more. You get to relish the work that the actors are doing all across the board. Yeah, is Malin Ackerman a bit miscast? That's my opinion. Other people think Matthew Good is miscast as Ozymandias. I totally understand that. But overall, I think they got the casting 100% right. I get the characterizations 100% right now. Do they mess up the overall vibe of the story? And do they, like, did the Watchmen show that came out on HBO, did that grasp more of what Alan Moore originally intended? Yes. But still, this is a damn good movie with some damn good actors in it. And even if he's only just kind of scooping across the surface of the actual story, it's still good enough to grab your attention and keep Mm -hmm. your attention just on the uh, dialogue and the back and forth between the actors and the progression to where it goes to. And that question you ask at the end of the movie, is it worth it to kill a certain amount of people in order to stop the loss of more people? That's an incredible question to ask. Look, we're going through this bullshit right now, right? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. As of last Thursday or Friday, they're saying that the uh, air pollution is down 40% across Europe. Yeah, that's insane. You know, yeah. dolphins are back in Venice. <laughs> so it's like in Avengers when Cap shows up uh, at the office in the in uh, Endgame, and it's just him and uh, Scarlet Widow or Black yeah. Widow. Uh, and uh, they're talking about the fact that there's humpback or whales going through the Hudson. Yeah. Lower New York or whatnot. And be like, yeah, if they historically went back here, like this is what would happen if we weren't out fucking everything up, which is kind of what right. we do. Um, right. So is it worth it? Thanos isn't wrong, technically. He's not. I will say this. I will say this. You can make a case for Thanos' point of view even more so because he killed indiscriminately. It didn't True. matter race or money or like this like this coronavirus. It does not matter what status it you is. have. It, it, exactly. If you get exposed to it, it could come after you. We've seen Joe Diffie die over the weekend. We've seen Carl Anthony Towns' mom in a coma. We've seen so many. Now uh, Cuomo, who's been doing all the CNN stuff, he tested positive this morning for the virus. So we see it does. Andy Cohen has this thing. So you have no idea who it's going to hit. And then a, a young, as young as a 12-year-old has contracted the virus. So it does not matter what your social status is. doesn't matter money, anything like that. You can catch it. And Thanos, in his way, uh, was kind of saying that. If I kill 50% of the universe, everything will function better because we've overpopulated. And you could be mad at China for that one-child policy but you look at the states. If the states ever implemented that, United States and England, like the the the, the first world, you'd have better pollution situation. You'd have less overcrowding. You'd have less poverty. You'd have more stuff for people to survive on. Uh, but g- good luck trying to. Americans can't even stay indoors. Good luck trying to tell them they can only have one child. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, as far as like a. There, there could come a time we need an international one-child policy. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well, it just, we, you know, on some level, I guess you wouldn't be able to do it country by country and just have to say that it's not sustainable for all of us as a whole. But we would be right. the biggest, one of the biggest offenders of that list, just taking too many resources for our own because we're greedy and we can. Uh, yeah. Like to believe it's human nature. Perhaps it's just American. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I think human nature is fair. I'm not going to, you know, 100% discount that. Um, yeah, there's only so many resources, and we could eventually get to a situation like that. And uh, you know, it's is the outcome worth it? In that one, I don't know. Neither seems reasonable, even though yeah. the outcome could hypothetically be for the best. Uh, there's just right. got to be a better solution than nuking you know millions of people it's true i do love that in essence do you think i was just monologuing that i didn't already kind of put this all in play this was just a stall it's a great little twist on the convention um yeah <laughs> yes it, it um but like everybody else the the book was way better and then to see the initial i've gone back and watched the director's cut but the initial has soured my overall kind of enjoyment of totally respect that man totally do i know a lot of people feel that way too uh all right what's number four four is not going to be on your list which is Coraline. 
It is not. You're right. Go ahead, brother. I know you love this movie. It turned me on to Leica, uh, as it did, I imagine, everybody, by and large, that saw it. It's a, was it Neil Gaiman? Is this his? I think it is. Yes. Yes. Uh, it is a dark, kind of creepy movie that kids can see, but they will be scared of at certain points because the yeah. the other world mom gets scarier and scarier as the movie goes on. <laughs> Innocent of little ways, uh, but it just gets under your skin. It's a it's a beautiful uh, quick story and the artistry that goes into. I like stop motion and you have to have the script in hand, you making these decisions and there is no altering. You're not going to go back. You're not going to improv a scene. So yeah. when you see a final product that has this kind of resonance, it makes me appreciate it even more because I knew, I know the amount of hours that went into sculpt and craft this, you know, literally yeah. to make a product that, uh, that has this kind of emotional impact when I know it's inert clay and they're yeah. just, but they're telling a story that resonates that, uh, that is impactful to me. And then since then I've gone on and, uh, watched, I see, you know, whatever they're releasing in the theater and they've had some that are excellent, like Kubo and the two strings, I think is fantastic. But like box trolls, eh, not really. <laughs> all right, but, all right. All right, so that's my four. What do you got? Okay. My four, uh, is, uh, fantastic. Mr. Fox, which is a punt. From earlier, uh, Matt, wow. this one has grown in my estimation. Again, this is one of those films that's just kind of grown. The farther I've gotten away from it, I've come back to watch it over and over again more. There's something really quaint about the stop motion uh, animation in the film. Mm -hmm. There's something really incredible about the voiceover work being done here. There's something kind of tender about the film, even though it's a character that you shouldn't feel tender about. There's something tender about all the characters that surround him. You know, his son, uh, the uh, I think his nephew, uh, his uh, wife, obviously his his, his uh, assistant, uh, mm -hmm. all of that that he kind of encounters as he goes along. And of course, you get the villains, uh, you know, voiced by Michael Gambone and a couple of the people there. Uh, going up against him plus it hits the uh it hits the anglophile in me being essentially a british uh uh type of film because of where it's yeah. sad and the and the villains and what have you so all around there's just something that still keeps attracting me to this film i bought it on criterion recently and just tore through all the special features on it because i just wanted to enjoy and savor the film even more and it has moved up by wes anderson favorite wes anderson films uh as well over the last few years so maybe as i get older i kind of understand a little bit more for me emotionally about what clooney is going through clooney's character is going through in that movie mm -hmm. and everyone else involved in it as well so yeah i just really enjoy the movie for so many reasons yeah, the the voice acting is hmm. into none. Uh, yeah. Like Clooney, the warmth in his voice, he creates such a likable character that you kind of want to be friends with, even though you know it's yeah. a, you know, a fucking stop-motion animation. And the warmth in Meryl Streep's voice is his wife, and Schwartzman is his son, and then it has the usual yeah. Sanderson voices popping up, and you got Bill Murray, and you got, you know, just going right down the line. And they all bring distinct uh, individual characters to life. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe it goes a little bit. I just think I watch the others more, um, and I know I watch Coraline more than than Fantastic Mr. Fox. So, yeah, totally respect that. All right, what's your number three? Uh, three is District Nine. Oh, that's my three. Boom! Perfect timing. Ooh. Uh, 
out of nowhere, Bloomcom mm-hmm. and uh, just announced himself and blown away by a movie about alien invasion, but a movie about caste systems and apartheid and racism and bigotry and wrapped up into a thoughtful science fiction action film. Yep. And it's, it's one of those you see it and you're like, how did no one ever think to do this before? <laughs> it just, yeah, it, it has so many categories. Yeah. It's yeah. just, I don't know where this guy, what was he? Uh, was he Pete Jackson's like first AD or something before this? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. Something like that. And that's why he got a shot. Uh, Mr. Jackson's just like, this guy's good. He's really talented and right. got probably hooked up with producers or something and got that thing made. And it's, it's been unfortunately been a law of diminishing returns. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes that happens with directors, but you're yeah. right, Matt, this one completely out of the blue. Uh, you had no idea what you were walking into. And it, the dialogue is brilliant in this movie because it doesn't hit you over the face with it. It's just mm-hmm. presented as fact as a, an accepted thing. And when it starts to occur, you can't help but get what they're trying to say socially, politically, and class system-wise as well, what this, what the shades of it, especially because he hates the aliens so much. So when he starts yeah. to become one, he has to actually experience what they experience, which is, of course, that whole idea of, yeah, you can judge people, but if you don't actually try to understand them first, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't mean you can't still feel the same way after, but at least make the effort to try to understand them. You can't really judge them fully. And I think that was such a brilliant thing to say back in 2009 when we were like, this is right after Obama is elected, like the year after Obama is elected, and this idea that we're confronting these ideas of race a little more openly and vocally in our media and it was so well done and i think it was also well received because it was like another continent right this is happening what feels like in australia or new zealand wherever it's set or i'm sorry south, south africa, africa. Where it's set, i think yeah south africa and then you got to negotiate all of that so you can feel like it's oh it's not here it's someplace else but the lessons still reverberate and so i, I thought it was just brilliantly done in that way and charlotte copley is fantastic as the lead in the film yeah it's I mean, it's all him. There are other characters that populate, but it is all him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, brought him in in Blumkampf. Part of our lives now. Like, I'm still intrigued when they, oh, he's got, you know, another movie gestating type of thing, but I still have belief that you can pull it off. I liked, you know, I love, but I liked Elysium. Um, okay. And then Chappie I didn't see because it just looked, the trailer looked terrible. And then everybody that I know, yeah. like, it's not good. Like, okay, well, I don't need to waste my time with it. That's fine. I know. It just, Agreed. there's no need for completism yet. Now, if he goes and has a 30-year career and rattles off 15 more, maybe he'd be like, oh, there were seeds of Chappie and all these other things. And you can see where that idea kind of gestated. Uh, right. But, uh, so that was our three. Yeah, our three. What's your number two? My two is a punt from you earlier, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, Okay. Yeah, great choice, man. It's a uh, pure watchability. Mm-hmm. I still hope they make a third one. They but are. They're making a third. Is that officially happening? I thought it was kind of like oh, a. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, Dexter Fletcher is directing it, who just did Rocket Man. And uh, Ethan Irwin is involved in the production from the Schmodown. Ethan, he is involved through Joel Silver's oh, that's right. company 
He's involved okay. with it. So yeah, it's happening, but I, I, obviously it's on hold now with everything that's going on, but it is definitely in the pipeline to come out. So I wonder Guy Ritchie, why he didn't want to come back and do another one. Cause these are his babies. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, he's What's well, his face? Like, he, he was in Lockstock and two smoking barrels. So it's like, he's still in the Guy Ritchie pipeline and Guy Ritchie is a producer on the show, on the film, executive producer on the film. So. Yeah, that just means he's getting a check. I don't know that he's. No. Does I okay? Maybe, maybe, but it'll still be somebody else making all the decisions. And he fully kind of updated the character of Sherlock Holmes and put such a distinct stamp on it. I I think it's just going to look like a knockoff version, like uh, the Smoke and Aces to his Lockstock, you know, type of thing. Where, <laughs> but it's not as good as its source material. Right, right. was obviously taking from, uh, you know, Tarantino's work, but he had created his own kind of spin on it off on the side. Right. Uh, maybe good, but this first one, I don't know where, what initially sold me is the early fights that he gets into. And you see, basically you get the slowed down version of the fast paced action. As you can see the mind, the gears churning within Sherlock's head as he tries to figure out all the different angles and whatnot. And he's doing this uh, beforehand. And it's just a, a great way to make the action so believable for a character set in the mid to late 1800s type of, he knows, almost martial arts moves. But he's like, oh, no, he's calculating the odds, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. And, and you know, even, I think Rachel McAdams is a little bit miscast uh, in her role, but uh, not not to the point where it takes away from the movie, that's for sure. And of course, they ended up, you know, like doing what they did to her at the beginning of the second one. But overall, I thought this film was really well done. So much fun, fast paced, an interesting new way to take Sherlock, especially at the time. I think Sherlock was just about to come out or had just come out at the time as well. The uh, British version of it with Cumberbatch. Right? It came out after. They did come out. Okay. Um, but like this was a fantastic film for that, like revitalizing it, making it a little bit modern, a little anachronistic and Robert Downey Jr. Doing Sherlock Holmes. Like you were excited to see his version of it. And look, he has not been successful outside of the MCU. I know it's a great career resurgence for him to play Iron Man, but he has not been successful with almost any of his, uh, his films other than Sherlock Holmes outside of the MCU. And you've enjoyed them. Um, Zodiac. No, uh, it's like 20 people in Zodiac. There's like 30 people in Zodiac. That, I just gave you, listen to that defense. I just gave you an answer and you didn't fucking like it because it just shut you down. Boom. It shut me down at all. It's a, it's a terrible answer. He's an ensemble player in that film. He's not even the lead. I mean, lead films, you know, like The Judge. Nobody went to see that. Uh, or The Soloist. No, Soloist, no. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Luke Doolittle, no. Dr. Doolittle, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think he's a great actor. Just the problem is some of his choices. You can't you can't say he was good in any of his. I mean, you can't say his choices have been good overall. But this this is great. And There's got to be one. I'm looking it up. There's got to be one. Keep trying. Keep trying. Him and Jude Law are incredible in the film as well with their chemistry. And of course, Mark Strong is a fantastic villain in the film. So overall, just plus that score. That score is great. <laughs> All right, we got Chef Due Date. Due Date was all right. Due Date? It wasn't, actually, but, you know, 
No, he hasn't really done all that much outside of all these MCU movies. Right, right. And maybe he doesn't have to, dude, because his bread's getting buttered quite well doing the MCU stuff. Oh, it is, without a doubt. But it's reading through that, he has so little time, it looks like, to do anything but MCU because he is the linchpin yeah. of all these different movies and storylines. Yeah, yeah. So to say that he hasn't done anything outside of him, be like, yeah, but he was also a part of 17 highly successful MCU movies that kind of took his time away from doing anything but 17 incredibly successful MCU movies. I, it, <laughs> I can count them. But right, right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Well, he's, he's almost in all of them. Nine. So, yeah, nine movies over the course of 12 years. Yeah. That's a lot of yeah. fucking, that's a lot of movies. You don't have that much. a lot of movies. All right. So, uh, that was my two. Right. Get it too? Yeah, my two is your pun from is a pun from yours earlier up in the air. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I really love this film. Uh, it is a tough film to watch. And especially now. I mean, like, shit, being let go like I was in January from Collider, it's tough to watch this movie now. And like you get the same feeling, same vibes, this idea of like, okay, where do I go next? What do I have next? That kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And you see the exp- I remember watching this film and just like feeling a bone deep inside me because I've seen people get let go and their reactions and people like go from like longtime jobs and mortgages and kids and houses and things of that, or I'm sorry, and cars, things of that nature. And you're just like, you feel for them because people do build their lives on these things. And to be like terminated by a stranger, like I didn't even know this existed. I didn't know that people could show up as a company and fire people. Like someone would create this business uh, I was just shocked by that. And, uh, but the performances from Clooney and Anna Kendrick are extraordinary. And the people that they find in the movie to play these people who are being let go. I mean, that one larger, older dude, the bolder, larger, older dude, when he breaks down and cries on the screen, I was fucking losing it in the theater, losing it, uh, seeing this Hulk of a man just absolutely implode in front of you because of the loss of his job and the way it's presented to him. And this idea that idea of like, you know, so many people have succeeded after losing their jobs. I like bullshit. They have to feed you to, you know, to try to make it more palatable. Uh, All of that was just an, an eye opening thing for me to watch in the movie. And then to find out that, uh, is it Jake Kasdan who who did this one? Or is it the other guy? Is it Reitman? Is it Jason Reitman? It's Reitman. It's gotta be. Okay. So Jason Reitman, uh, apparently he ha- he asked people to call. Uh, he put some number out for people, real people to call, not people in Hollywood, but real people to call. Not that they're not real people. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. To call and leave their messages about their experiences being fired, like what the situation was like. And he used that as the basis for writing the script of the movie. You're just like, wow, just blown away by the real- realism within it. But also it's an interesting story about a guy who has spent his whole life building a wall around human connection uh, without realizing it. And then it takes Anna Kendrick and it takes his relationship with Vera Farmiga to break that wall down and kind of show him a new way to approach the world. I thought was uh, incredible as well. Um, Yeah. The first time I heard about a company like that, to me, it was like, that makes all the sense in the world, you know, Mm -hmm. equivalent of trash men. Nobody wants to do it. So of course we would hire, we would create, a job for that and somebody out there would be like that's not so bad and they would do it uh, <laughs> gotta incentivize it the right way and this upon seeing it was like nobody likes to be the one that has to fire people so 
it makes all the sense in the world that this job exists. And then to, to get a peek behind the curtain of what that life is like was yeah. incredibly interesting to walk a mile in their shoes and get a different understanding and perspective on life. I just don't, yeah. it's 10 on my list because I don't go back to watch it. It's good. It's damn good. Yeah. In a year, if we'd done this in you know January 2010, this would be high on my list. But uh, okay, because it's 11 years later, just like, dude, I've seen all these others so many times that I, I enjoy them more as a movie. Right. I get it. Totally. Uh, get but it. it's it's good. It's I mean, two Clooney movies made both of our lists this year. Uh, unfortunately, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have movies that make 300 million, 400 million. So uh, and I only say that because. I like Clooney, so I'd like him to continue to be able to work. So hopefully yeah. keep getting him projects that the budget is small enough and it makes enough money they can continue to go, you know, a la Brad Pitt for the most part. Uh, although his his movies make a little bit more money on average, I would imagine. But he doesn't have like a huge hit in his yeah. fucking, uh, filmography. Even the even the Batman movie isn't considered a huge hit. So, you know, that he did. So, you know, they yeah, agreed with you. Yeah, yeah Clooney's. Yeah, it was yeah. part of what destroyed Batman. Is the nipple right. and all the fight, you know? Yeah, it was fine. It needed to die. It needed to be reborn, and again and again, and hopefully the next one um, is unique and interesting and its own thing. And I'm looking forward to it. Me uh, too. Me too. Yeah, I'm not against them rebooting. It's just like, why not, man? This character's been around for 70, 80 years. Go at it. Have right. give your own spin on this thing. Right. All right. Well, uh, what's your number one? I wonder if it's my number one. Uh, my number one is Moon. Wow, really? Okay, it's didn't make rewatchable. It's the most okay. unique idea. It I like this in a movie. It makes me ask a philosophical question and mm-hmm. of a determine what reality is and then b what is existence? What is life? Um, and you have all these questions, especially when he gets below. I don't want to say too much if you've ever seen it, but he gets below, mm-hmm. sees what he sees. Man, it's like this huge existential crisis. Uh, right. The whole build to the reveal, and as you know, the story begins to unfold and where it ends up to me, it was just pitch perfect. I wish I had seen it at the time because I would have been telling anybody that I knew that liked movies to go check this out because I saw it, you know, uh, after award season and whatnot type of thing. Um, yeah. I thought it was, you know, fantastic. Still do. I happily rewatch it every, you know, basically I give it enough time to where, Hopefully I forget one of the turns so that I can see it and be like, oh yeah, this, but I pretty much got it dialed in, but I enjoy the living shit out of it. I think it's just pitch perfect. Okay. Fair enough. I enjoyed the movie. I certainly liked it. Um, I've only seen it a couple of times and you know, like for me, it's like, I get it. And so I just kind of uh, don't revere it as highly as you do, but I totally respect the reasons why you do it. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way too about this film. Mm-hmm. Duncan Jones had a nice little mini run there in the 2000s, late 2000s, uh, or the 2010s, I guess, as well. Because I like Source Code. I thought Source Code was really well done as well. Yeah, me too. Another philosophical question film, you know, that he did. And so I wish he'd go back to that a little bit more because I enjoy Moon, too. Moon is great. And uh, it's certainly an enjoyable uh, film to watch. And for science fiction, it really works. And it kind of brought out what some sam rockwell can really do like what as an actor how good he really is you know if nothing else it serves that purpose overall so yeah it's a good choice it really just helps create this this mosaic of his career and you can look back it's it's oldman-esque on some level 
because he's yeah. played so many distinct, you know, individualistic characters and all of them feel genuine. And that's yeah. now looking back to see uh, like abs- more absurd characters like in, um, uh, damn it, I'm blanking on it. 42, the answer to everything. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it's based on a book by a British author that they turned into a movie with Mo Steff and Martin Freeman, um, Sam oh, Rock. You mean the Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide yes. to the Galaxy? Yeah, yeah. remembering everything else but that. So there's that or something like Galaxy Quest, but then he can do Three Billboards right. or Jojo Rabbit, like a gay Nazi. And it's, it's believable. Uh, <laughs> he's got tremendous range. So he does. At a number one? I, I, I remember him seeing him real quick on a film on a film called Safe Guys, where him and Steve Zahn are these guys who are hired uh by I think the actor's name is Michael Learned, who's this like Jewish guy, because uh, it's a part of the story. He's a Jewish guy who yeah. hired them to uh do a job for him, and he thinks they're these other safe cracker guys. But they need a job so desperately that they uh, imitate being those safe cracker guys to get involved in the situation. Paul Giamatti's uh, um, that guy's secondhand uh, okay. man. I missed this. In charge of the dudes. It's a really cool independent film from like the early or mid '90s or late '90s, and I remember seeing it on IFC or Sundance. It's damn good because then the guys who were actually safe crackers show up, and it's a whole thing. Uh, but him and Steve Zahn have incredible chemistry. Uh, and sweet chemistry as well, trying to be these guys. So yeah. if you have guys, it's called Safe Guys, I think is what it's called. You guys should see it. Uh, all right, my number one is the Tarantino film, Glorious Bastards. That's my number one. Uh, I don't understand that reaction at all. This is such a well-done movie. It's such a fantastic film. Uh, so uh, uh, I, just, I just enjoy the dialogue from top to bottom. I like the characters in the film. I love the violence of the film. Uh, I love what they explore. Do I enjoy the fact that they... Sh- uh, what happens at the end? Yeah, I'm not always 100% on board with it. But overall, I do like the fact that they led to that ending. And you do get a sense of like satisfaction from it, where, which is not what I got from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I didn't feel that ending satisfied me at all. Whereas oh, I, I loved it. Ending, yeah, it made no sense to me. And, and this loved one, it. It was the best. Are you fucking kidding me? The best. That, uh, that ending was yeah, but awesome. it was It wasn't earned by the movie at all. Not at all. Because Why you did it have to? You're, you're bringing in your own ideas of what you know about these people, but none of that is presented in the movie. None of that is presented in the movie. Even in the one scene where you think they might have committed this crime, Bruce Dern is still a lot. So it's like to me, they didn't they they didn't in as in essence deserve the severity of the punishment that they got. But they showed this, up to fucking kill them and comes at Brad Pitt and just psycho after. Thank God he had his dog with him. But they were there. To yeah. It doesn't matter that their past transgressions hadn't given the audience the view of what they ultimately did that evening. Instead, that's, that's earning your ending. Yeah, but they, those characters showed up to kill, and they rightly assessed the situation at hand, Brad Pitt mm-hmm. and Mario, and basically it was kill or be killed, and they did the right thing. Now, the over-the-top violence, I, I guess you could say, well, that was a bit gratuitous much. doesn't make sense, but yes, do you end this fucking craziness of a movie about the manson family it made all the sense in the world to me it's perfect mm, fair enough Glorious well, Bastards. This one made all the... go ahead no sorry sorry go ahead man sorry i, want you I, to I was just saying i wanted more bastards what it was sold to me what the trailers were sold to me as i went in with the it's going to be this movie and it ends up not being about 
movie at all. Those characters are incidental to the actual movie and be like, okay, well, I was sold a bill of goods. And that's rare for a Tarantino film. And I've just never, I like whatever, a third of it. And the other two thirds, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Just don't care. Okay. I totally get it. I, I enjoy, I love the beginning. Christoph Waltz is incredible throughout the movie. That whole, that whole beginning is one of the greatest, like unsettling terror filled beginnings you'll ever experience and the dialogue the way it builds to that ending is fantastic but i also enjoy that and the reason the ending works for me is because of what she does at the theater because she does what she does at the theater overall the whole thing works for me and then what happens to christoph waltz at the end of the movie i thought was brilliant so overall i enjoy the movie very very much for that reason the characterizations the acting some of the dialogue and the way the scenes are strung together uh just works for me overall um all right so this will be interesting putting this list together <laughs> so uh that's our separate uh top 10 uh lists of 2009 now we're going to try to put this thing together i'll grab the bongos behind me all right i am typing out lists to make sure we are good to go yeah Okay, so I would say, I guess District 9 is number one. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we both, where do you have Sherlock? I have it at seven. Okay. Um, I would say Sherlock next then. Wow. Okay. Two seven. And we don't have anything that beats two seven. Because up in the air, I've got it. Up in the air. Two ten. Oh, two ten. Okay. Then Sherlock up in the air. We both have District Nine at three. Two that was threes. Number one. Oh, right, right. Now what about Fantastic Mr. Fox? Not on the where'd you have it? Four. So, so we still haven't put our ones though, have we? True. I, I say we do our ones next. Um, okay. What I'll say is neither of us finds fault in Moon, whereas I can find fault for me personally in Inglorious. Yeah. Fine, fine. I accept that logic. I don't like it, but I accept that logic. All right. So then, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. We're number seven. Do we have? We got Star Trek in common. We do have Star Trek. All right, so go Star Trek at seven. Okay. That's it, correct? Uh, Yeah, is up in the air on there? Correct, it is. District 9, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Inglorious Bastards. So my top four are on there so far. All right, so my four is not, so Coraline. Okay. What's your next highest? Uh, Watchmen at number five, the director's cut. Uh, okay, it's Watchmen versus Taken. So you just want Watchmen there since Moon. Okay, done. Easy. Wow, nice. All right. Let's count this thing down. The top 10 films of 2009. Yeah. At number 10. Taken. At number 9. Watchmen. At number 8. Coraline. At number seven, 
Star Trek. At number six. Fantastic Mr. Fox. At number five. Inglorious Bastards. At number four. Moon. At number three. Up in the Air. At number two. Sherlock Holmes. And our number one film of 2009 is... District 9. That's right. Here we go. Nice. Great Um, stuff. We also have, uh, we forgot to mention earlier, but we have uh, our Patreon shout out. It's a week late for you guys, but here we go. Oh, that's right. We got to do those. Jump right into this. Uh, I'm ready to roll when you are. Uh, Yeah, let's do it. And uh, this is uh, for anybody that donates to us at patreon.com forward slash the top 10 with the number 10. It's $5 and above. We do this once a month and we give a shout out to those people that are supporting us as our way of saying thank you. So, ready? Yep, let's do it. All right. Uh, Mike Barrington. Drew Enns. Willie Logie. Ooh, uh, okay. Uh, Do I have it under a different... Should I download the CSV? Is that what I should do? Because uh, I, I had Andrew Hayes next. All right, do what the, did you do? I just went. No, no, no. At the very top, is there a blue bar that says "Old Manager"? Uh, yeah, uh yes, old one. So I switch over to the old one. Yeah, click on that. Okay, hold on. Sorry, guys. Okay, got it. All right, cool. Christopher Brockman. There you go, Andrew Hayes. David Mitchell Baker. Mackenzie Horner. Christos Alexakos. Angela Dashner. Ben Cartwright. Frank Montoya. Zujayanth Fernando. Jeff Kelly. Kristen Kurtz. Michael D. Dyke. Steve Schluckabeyer. The Blast from Our Past podcast. Nice. Andrew Naley. Johanna Linoverta. Jonathan Caro. Jay Scotty St. Clair. Cameron Chapman. Bobby Michael. Darren Bush. Eric Bloor. Ed Buskirk. Mark Menchaca. George Menchaca. Zach Butts. Sean Brennan. Joe Farrelly. Brandon Monroe. Chris Lemke. Lawrence Witt. And finally, Ellis Menchaca. <laughs> Mark Fawcett. Robert Haley. Daniel McCarty. Bobby Carney. Andrew Marker. Josh Stetz. Joshua Stetz. Uh, Daniel Chaput. Josh Mabry. Ryan Beachy. Keith Fitzgerald. Billy Gilliams. Jeremy Metz. Sup, Jeremy. Thomas Drufke. Bernie Knapp. Yeah, Kevin Fuss. Cody Rexford. Lewis Berrigan. Charles J. Clark. Jason Bradshaw. Wayne Murphy. Connor Teal. Dan Somerville. Cameron Belgrade. Cody Seal. Ian Platt. Ahmad Ali. Deborah Torres. Sam Monsolvi. Wiley Todd. So Wiley. JIC317. Michael Schmur. Ruben Enriquez. Matt Hannigan. Haley Morton. Anthony Castelnova. Ian Brick Beltran Lopez. Robert Francesco Surassi. Hope I said that right. Uh, James Leggett. 
Dwayne Joseph Burke. What's up, Dwayne? Phil, Phil Neglia. Kyle Beckworth. Justin McDonald. Dan Pertaglia. Tim Franco. Brian Akins. John Keith. Edward Dobbins. Jimmy Nost. <laughs> Chris Consiglio. Jim White. Christopher McIntyre. Gunner. That's all it says. <laughs> Tim Begg. Alex Russell. Scott Zarnecki. Simon Bruyard. Keith Archer. Kyle Feller. John Douse. Joey Anthony. Nick Francis. Blake O'Brien. Jeff Saliba. Dan Nye. That's right. That Dan Nye. Kristen Smith. Marcus Davenport. Ryan M. Brandos. Hans Eskelson. April Rybacki. Elijah York. Victor Whiskey Allund. Uh, Archie Bear. Maurice Robinson. Justin O'Neill. Ravi Prasad. Josh Sachs. Adelardo Fuente. Dale Varley. Andres Mendoza. Blake Gott. Marcel Berman. Shane Noble. Aliyah Moore. What's up, Aliyah? Jeremy Bowers. Gareth Welton. Reagan Lovig. James Petty. Uh, Zaria or Zai- Zairian Gigglesong. Okay. Cody Markham. Noel Kelleher. Tyler Spots. Matthew Poland. Eric Stevenson. Nizar Alabasi. Pat Bufamante. Michael Kelly. Ben Quirk. Drew Burkhart. Dylan Bullard Dempsey. Chris Cabrera. Francisco, Francisco J. Torres. Timothy Berg. Matt Simmons. Dylan Yoon. Alex Ramsey. Nicholas Smith. Roque Aureliana. Dylan Johnson. Edward Wilshire. Jan Viacanazar. Ashley Prowls. Dominic Greaves. Charlie McKenna. Josh Lawrence. Mike Shea. Joshua Wynn. Seth Shearer. David Gregson. Philip Lane. Matthew Kearns. Thank you, Matthew. Seamus Braytag. Ryan McKenna. Uh, Zachariah Kaufman. Marlon Tuttle, AZ Badfish. Matthew Lee Cravens. Josh Murphy. Johannes Schmidt. Matt Yund. Andrew Herbs. Houston Bodley. AJ Barrera. Giancarlo Simonetta. <laughs> Kyle Spahn. Andre Constantinesco. Andy Ortiz. Chelsea Lewis. Jimmy Payne. Andy Tan. Uh, Laura Deverson. Catherine Samuels. Tim Reimart. James Winstead. Niall Blackie. Scott Collar. Thomas Clarence. E. Norman Esbutt. Eric Bruin. Luke Allison. Jacob Pullen. Rodrigo Valverde, Valverde III. Nice. Uh, Ewan Williams. Todd Whitkey. Brandon Caridi. Julian Key. Joshua William. Ian Homer. Corner. Chris Jones. Oh, okay. Chris Jones. 
Uh, the Cenophiles. <laughs> hey, Steve. Andrew O'Day. It's an extra $5, Steve. Juan Reyes. <laughs> James Trapani. Rob McDonald. Uh, Magali Dore. Dimitri Malat. Nick Dornoff. Joe Hune. Sean Scott. Timothy R. Williams. Abby Lugo. John Mariano. Thank you, John. Albert Wiradharma. Thank you, Albert. DJ Red Hotcocks. Jen Kemp. Uh, Jeff. Well, um, do you think that's a legit last name? I'm going to think JD is good. Okay, JD it is. (laughs) Will Morris. Alexander Marzonia. Uh, Thank you, Alex. Blair Simpson. Thorsten Amuler. Stacy Flores. Evan Zoller. Jonathan Chase. Luke Larson. Stephen Armstrong. And finally, our last patron, Sean LeBeau. LeBeau. Uh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Thank you all so much for donating and supporting the show. So important in these times. Uh, yeah, we thoroughly appreciate it uh, to each and every one of you that do that. Uh, we hope you're staying safe out there, washing those hands, trying to social distance. Um, you know, hopefully this breaks up the the doldrums of your day. And uh, <laughs> if you want to follow me anywhere uh, on social media, it's at Matt Nost, M-A-T-T-K-N-O-S-T. And uh, check out my other podcast, Embrace the Hate. You can find that anywhere you find podcasts. And uh, that's it for me this week. Hey, you guys can follow me at The Roka Says on Twitter and on Instagram. Of course, uh, the the uh, uh, top 10, the Patreon right up there. Go to that address and see all the multiple tiers we got. Come and join us. And also, please come and subscribe to my YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash John Roca says already we're close to that 12,500 mark trying to get to that 20,000 mark. So uh, come watch the shows we do and see if you want to subscribe to the channel would really appreciate it. Uh, All right. That's all everything from both of us here on the top 10. Thank you all so much for watching. And as Matt said, stay safe, wash your damn hands and be uh, healthy. And we want to see you back next week. Take care until then. Adios. Adios.